Hi, everybody. This is Kyle, and uh, this is another book talk, which is fun. We've been doing these a couple times now, and uh, we, we did Morrison's Batman. We, we, we've uh, kind of delved into a few others here and there, so it's exciting to be able to dig into another run and uh, kind of go back and forth through all the issues and ask some key questions about it. a particular work. Uh, this time around, we're talking, as we warned you two weeks ago, Warren Ellis' Planetary. Uh, a work that uh, I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, for from the Reconstructionist side of comic books, maybe, maybe not. And we've got a, a nice little group with us, so I'm excited to sort of dig into it. Some of them are, are names you've and voices you've heard before. Some of them are not. Uh, but I think I'm most excited to read this because I think it's Harper's favorite comic book of all time, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a couple other guys, too. I saw him go. <laughs> uh, so anyway, first things first, uh, I want to let you guys know this is not like a review episode. Uh, chances are, I think everybody like really loves this book of all of us, so there's not really going to be any detractions here. So this is really going to be more analysis and discussion about different themes uh, rather than, oh, you know, is this something you should buy or shouldn't you buy? Here's the here's the rule. If we're talking about it, you should buy it. That's <laughs> really how it comes down to <laughs> Um, anyhow, I'm going to sort of run through everybody. Obviously, hey, Harper. How's it going? How's your weekend, man? It's been pretty good. Just uh, taking some time off, relaxing. Yeah, that's good, man. Did you go out to Dogwood or anything like that? No, no. I spent yesterday sitting inside, catching up on comics and playing some games. So. <laughs> oh, well yeah. spent Saturday, sir. <laughs> yeah. No exercise whatsoever. <laughs> oh, well. And, and rejoining us is uh, one of my best buds, Mr. Matt Miller. How are you, Matt? I'm good, Kyle. How are you? I'm fine, I'm man. Glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you know, uh, Matt and I, we talked about this planetary thing over Twitter for the longest, and if it wasn't Harper that recommended it to me, it was probably going to be Matt. So it's, it's, it's good to have him here with us to talk a little bit more about it. Also got a couple new guys. Hi, John Lee. How are you, sir? Hello, I'm fine. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. John, John I, I feel like John is, is, my, is, is our number one. One supporter at Geek Rex. I think I don't think we can have like uh, any Facebook post go about John liking it, which makes me so happy. By the way, it's it, it's death taxes and John liking my statuses, which is uh, the greatest thing in the world. John, thank you. Well, um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that. Thumbs up. Yeah. And Mr. Gray Witten. Gray, how are you? I'm doing well, Kyle. Thank you. Yeah, good, Gray. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, man. We uh, I've been wanting to pull you in on this podcast just like John for the longest time. So. Well, thank you. Uh, that's I appreciate being invited. I'm a big, big fan of this book as well. And uh, thank you for mentioning taxes because I totally have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Isn't that, I have like uh, 40 hours left. Yeah. So I'm good. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I hope you don't owe anything. I hope you at least break even. Um, though maybe, maybe you'll have a nice surprise. We'll see. I owed. It was not fun. Mm. Oh. Check went in this week. Uh, always the state. Always the state. Anyhow, uh, so let's talk about Planetary. Newer two in recent years. I mean, what, what's your history with this series? And Warren Ellis in general. Um. This was uh, my first first Ellis thing I think I ever read. Um, I came to it in a really bizarre way in that I found the Crossing Worlds trade 
at a library and just thought it looked kind of interesting. <laughs> I didn't really know about the series or anything like that. I read through it, really didn't get what was going on, but I thought it was kind of interesting. So I picked up the first trade and totally fell in love with it. Um, so I, I never read it in, in singles initially. Um, I've since gone back and collected them for fun. Uh, but I've read through the whole series in trades. And this was in recent years or? Yeah, in the last two, three years probably. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I did not read it from the beginning, which is a surprise. I don't normally jump into things late, but uh, I remember, I think I was seeing reviews of it on maybe IGN when they were doing comics coverage still, and seeing how each cover was different and awesome, and and, uh, and seeing them just raving about all these things. And so I'm pretty sure um, the, uh, the Sherlock Holmes issue is the first one I picked up, which is 13, which is fortuitous because that was, it's a great hook. And I didn't accidentally get in on the end of the mystery. It would have been kind of <laughs> awkward if I'd read 12 first. So 13 was pretty nice for me to read first. And um, and I very soon thereafter picked up uh, the rest of them. I had to buy one trade because I couldn't find one of the issues. But um, yeah, so after 13 and from 14 on, I was buying monthly and waiting oh, many, many months in some cases <laughs> uh, painfully for those gaps to, uh, to yeah. How big was the delay between all those? Some the, last, of them were, the last seven or eight issues took about three to four years to come out. Yeah, I was really? trying to find a timeline. I know I've seen a publishing date before, but I, oh, okay, I couldn't find one on the web. Um, yeah, there were some... There were some Half a year gaps. At Longer time. than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Last issue, there's three years between number 26 and number 27. Oh, between okay. 2006 yeah. and 2008. Well, well, the last issue is supposed to have been a, a coda or something. Yeah, but, yeah um, like an epilogue. Yeah. My, my experience was pretty close to Gray's. I jumped in a little bit earlier. Um, it was right when I was getting back into comics and I was buying a lot of Vertigo stuff. And I think I had been on Transmetropolitan prior and was hand-sold the first planetary trade uh, by some guys at a comic shop in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, comics Exchange, which is a great shop. Yeah. is up there. Uh, and so they hand-sold me the first trade and pretty much were like, look, if you don't like it, bring it back. We'll buy it back from you. It's that good. Um, and so I immediately went and found, I think there were three issues out. After that. I think I went and bought seven, eight, and nine immediately after that. So I think nine was my first new issue that okay. I got in on. And then collected in singles ever since after that. I uh, I got into it because of uh, Cassidy's art because I was reading Astonishing X Men. I was not reading it in uh, single issues. I uh, uh, I used to go to Borders during like Friday nights and just read it and not buy it. So I'm probably one of the reasons why Borders <laughs> dealing the stories, John. Uh, part of the problem, right? So I did not feel the effects of those huge delays. Maybe the last volume. But um, but reading back about it, I was I was like, wow! I'm glad I was not following it then because I probably would have forgotten the the story several times over the course <laughs> of the years. I've um, I didn't know much Ellis work actually. Like the only time I'd ever read a Warren Ellis book was uh, Ultimate uh, Nightmare. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Y'all remember the Galactus yeah, yeah, yeah. trilogy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. black. Got lactose, yeah. <laughs> Which a, a, apparently he was only planning to write the first chapter of, and then I think Mark Millar was supposed to take over. Mm-hmm. And Mark Millar got sick and flaked out, and Ellis had to do it all. And that, that was fine. Yeah. I was never like blown away by it, but I liked it well enough. I, like I thought it had a neat tone, and I liked his sort of cold 
science approach to the work. But I never really picked up anything else. I never read Transmit. Still have not read Transmit. Um, and I, interestingly enough, I never really read any Wildstorm books up until about a year and a half ago. Now, I there was a point in time when I stopped when I was not in comics for the longest. So I uh, like it was right around like the beginning of college when like the Authority came out, and then you had books like Sleeper and all the coup d'état stuff. And I I just I never expressed much interest in Wildstorm when I got back into comics. So I thought, oh, ugh, this image shit. You know, that's uh, that's that's Jim Lee. I don't want anything to do with Wildcats and all that stuff. But um, Harper talked about it a lot. <laughs> um, like a lot. <laughs> he was like posting covers on our on the little Colonel Records Facebook page, and I was like, "Oh, that looks really cool." Yeah. But uh, maybe, maybe. And I waited and waited and waited until this omnibus came out uh, this past year, and DC put out this omnibus with all the issues. So I never had to deal with a delay or a wait. Uh, I got to read it all in the course of like a week and a half, two weeks, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And it was the second Wildstorm book. I, no, excuse me, the third Wildstorm book I ever read because I read this and The Authority at the same time. Uh, so I had a lot of Ellis going on. And then uh, prior to that, I, of course, read all of Sleeper. So that is all I know about Wildstorm at this point. But. Yeah. That's more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've read any Ellis before this. I may have probably read a little bit of uh, some of his uh, Wildcats crossover stuff. Uh, he did the he wrote, he wrote the Aliens book? Yes, right? the Wildcats yeah. Alien crossover. Yeah, I read that, I think. Which is the most consequential crossover yeah. in the Market, history of yeah. intercompany yeah. comics. It's, it's worth checking out. <laughs> Wait, what, what happens in that then? Because I, okay, so I don't want to get off topic, but I, I've always wondered, because I, you know, the Ellis Wildstorm Milu is like you've got Stormwatch, the Authority, and Planetary, basically, yes. right? And the Stormwatch Aliens crossover occurs at the very end of it, Stormwatch. It kills off easily half of the Stormwatch team. Wow! And that's and that's how it it sets clears the stage, clears the table for Authority mm. to start. You get killed by the Xenomorphs or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Wow! And, and you know what? It's not in the collection. No. I guess because there's no rights. rights. <laughs> they, they actually did collect it later. It was a hard to find. It was a, it was a pretty highly sought after issue for a good time. Uh, there is a collection that has it in it, though. Man, well, or it was reprinted. One of the two. <laughs> so that was the first. That, that, that was the first one you read. You said uh, maybe. Yeah, I know he had done some Marvel stuff. That there's a chance. I mean, he did. Like, he did Doom 2099. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But this is the first thing that I definitely put my head down and read uh, from him. And, and I started following him uh, enthusiastically after mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that since the since the early 2000s, I guess I've been keeping an eye out for his stuff. John was kind enough to gift me a bunch of Ellis stuff for my birthday. Yeah, I uh, I really want to uh, revisit Next Wave. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That, the that's best. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, this and Plan- that and Planetary is my favorite Ellis work. Yeah. Yeah, the next wave was the one of the things he gave me, yeah. so that's a side note. But I haven't read that yet, so that's that's next on the list. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. It, looks, it looks, I mean, everybody says it's great. I've, he also uh, gave me a copy of, uh, was it? Uh, Gun Machine? Gun Machine, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was, I, I liked it. I still haven't read Gun Machine. I like it. Yeah. But it's uh, I'm excited to dig into it. So thank you again for that, Joan. No problem. Uh, <laughs> um, Too <else>. <laughs> So planetary, interestingly enough, is divided into two. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a story that's made up of a number of different adventure 
I don't know how to, what's the best word to say. Uh, there's a lot of archetypes that make up yeah. like a planetary. Um, the, the idea is, as we all know, is that uh, the three characters, Elijah Snow, Jaquita Wagner, and the drummer, are part of the planetary organization, the architects of the unknown, exploring the secret history of the Wildstorm universe. Um, and each issue is kind of a standalone up until about issue uh, issue 13, where, thing, where the arc of the entire story starts to really kick in. Um, there's still some standalone elements throughout, I, I still feel, but most people consider the first 12 issues to be the very done-in-one, X-Files-esque, this, this is going to be the giant monster adventure. This is going to be the Vertigo adventure. This is going to be the Sherlock Holmes adventure, whatever. Um, whereas issues 13 and beyond deal with their dealings with the villains of the series, the four. Everybody I talk to kind of feels differently about which they prefer. Uh, matter of fact, when I finished, the first thing Matt asked me was, well, what, did you like the first 12 <laughs> issues or the last 12 issues or the last, you know, set of issues, however many that is, like 14 or 15. Um, and I, I was like, gosh, I don't know. Let me think about that for a second. And, I, you know, I had to consider, do I prefer, you know, sequential storytelling or do I prefer more standalone style stories? Um, so I think that's an interesting question to sort of start with. Uh, which side of Planetary did you prefer and why? And I'll start with Harper, actually. All right. Um, I, I, I have a tough time deciding, um, but I think I like the first half better just because I... The whole when you can so easily point to and say, okay, this is the Godzilla issue. This yeah. is the you know Captain Marvel, or or this is where the Fantastic Four comes in. Mm-hmm. Even though but, you know obviously they have a bigger part later. Um, those issues are just so much fun. Um, that first trade uh, just sort of drew me in like nothing else I've ever read because of that. Because it's this whole idea of um, kind of it's a superhero book. It's about superhero books, but it's not. You know, as one big story necessarily it covers lots of different things from monster movies to, you know, 60s horror movies to, um, you know, all, all sorts of different things on, you know, pulp novels and stuff. Hong Kong crime. Yes. Yeah. yeah like, you get issue two. That's a great issue, Hong by Kong the way. Crime, like, wow. Um, yeah, so I think I prefer the first half, although I do, I really like the overarching story that the second half builds out, but I wish it could have been a little more like the first, I guess. I'm in the same boat. Uh, Although, I've traditionally preferred the first half of the story for almost all the same reasons that Harper said. But in reading it, I think this was really the first time I sat down and read it start to finish at once. Mm-hmm. And it, the two halves really flow more seamlessly than they did in my memory when I was thinking back on it. Um, but yeah, the, fir- the self-contained nature of the first half, and I think plus the fact that there's a mystery you're working towards a solution of. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. So uh, once that gets solved, that was an element of the series that was missing for me. Sure. I, you know, for me, I think I like the second half better. Um, not because I think there's any uh, detriment to the first half, but in the second half, I prefer arc-style storytelling. And once the, the villains kind of really come to four and you kind of get a better idea of... What their uh, what their overall goals are, I think you do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the I started to, I started to enjoy it even more. Like uh, one thing that struck me about the first issues, particularly, were how quickly they read. Like by the time you got to the end of a story, I was like, "What? That's it?" <laughs> I had, I had, it was never a moment of like disappointment, other than I wanted to read more, um, which is never a bad thing. But by the time the second half sort of kicked in, I felt like more satisfying endings were coming around the corner every time. 
And I think he was sort of weaving in like the the standalones into the mystery yeah. more so. And I started to enjoy that a little better. Um, particularly when the reveals come in around, uh, and this is, this is going to be spoilery, sorry. Um, <laughs> but when the, when the reveals come around as to who the fourth man is, um, I feel like that character, um, fuck it, Elijah, he, uh, he, he, it's sort of like as a reader, you're following along with him every issue and you only know as much as he knows. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything he knows and his memory starts to piece together. And I feel like in the second half, it's sort of like um, I don't know, like a like a really good film that you could follow along with, where you're experiencing what the protagonist experiences. I feel like the reader sort of gets drawn in in that same way, and I think there's a lot of power there, particularly for my first read. Maybe in my second read, I wouldn't feel the same way though. I uh, I prefer the first half only because I want to stay more in this world. I was kind of surprised how. Um, how starting from issue 13, we were already at the end game. Mm-hmm. And um, I really just wanted more of uh, Ella's uh, incorporating more of his love of all the genres and how he interprets it. Um, but I do believe that uh, the second half has more uh, emotional payoff. And sure. um, it's, it's hard to decide which half is good. It's, it's hard to pick. Um, I, I might pick the second half tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I probably feel similarly to John. It's uh, and that's probably because for me, because I like the uh, the world building that goes on early early on, and the, the learning learning about a secret society of any sort is gonna uh, that's gonna win me over. <laughs> and if they've got a secret underground headquarters and they're all based on pulp heroes, how many copies can I buy? Right. This is pretty much what it's gonna come down. And, and that's to. the thing. I think the first half of the series. You would buy a series based on any of those yeah. issues, yeah. Yes. you know. Um, not not just issues, just like uh, toss aside comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He could he could put a whole vertical series just dedicated to like it. little stuff that like the the villains that they just name drop. You know, like yes. the uh, the. <laughs> The uh, the murder colonels or yeah. you know, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, I want to know all about the murder colonels, please. Well, I, I, we look like Sergeant Peppers. But <laughs> that's always the imagery I have in my head. In the, even in the first issue, I mean, there's so much history built in. Like when you see that first group of Axel Bronze, mm-hmm. you know, his little organization, whatever mm-hmm. they're called, I've forgotten already. Um, but it's all they're all based on pulp characters, mm-hmm. but only some of them return. Like, a few of them, like, show up later in the series. A couple of them we never learned about. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Edison. Yeah, Edison. Edison. Yeah. Yeah. Most curious. The operator. The, yeah. The guy that's, like, a, a pilot. He's yeah. kind of like the Red Baron. Yeah. 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 You never yeah. learn more about that enemy ace type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's a lot of richness there. Like, yeah. I want to learn more about them. Yes. Like, that issue especially. And I think that first issues have always been one of Ellis' greatest strengths. He really takes a lot of care into roping you in but doing it in a really satisfying, usually one-and-done way. Um, and this is maybe the best example of that. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, like, you, like, like you've told me before, man, this is probably John Cassidy's best stuff, right? Yeah. As yeah. far as his art goes. I, that's my opinion. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't see much he did before this, but uh, I did follow him for a good time after this, and I don't think he ever reached the heights that he did in Planetary. Yeah. But, but I think Ellis also really... Taylor's 
the stories he's telling to his artists and he yeah. plays to Cassidy's strengths yeah. so well. And he knew that's what he wanted. Yeah. He, he said, this will be a book with John Cassidy and Laura DePoy. Mm-hmm. Really? That, yeah. He, he specified that in the, the treatment that he wrote that mm-hmm. you can find somewhere online. Would you, would you say that this series is, is maybe, um, you know, Warren Ellis's best vision of the Wildstorm universe on the whole? I mean, I, I realized that he inherited Stormwatch and then the authority he is a spinoff of Stormwatch. So those aren't all I mean, they're mostly characters he created at that point, right? He morphed Stormwatch over the course of a number of issues to where there aren't many characters he didn't create left. Yeah. By the time you get to the last arc or so. Yeah. Um But yeah, well it's it helps that he's got one consistent artist throughout. Right. Um, which I guess is true of his authority runs well. That's all hitch, right? Those twelve mm-hmm. issues. Yes. Um but as a coherent unit, yes, it's it's much more coherent than his other Wildstorm stuff. Sure. Makes sense. I mean, the fact that, that the gimmick is, you know, that we're doing different genres of fiction throughout the whole series, and that just gives him all these excuses to uh, basically show off that, that he can do anything <laughs> really <laughs> he does I mean this stuff like here like these uh, oh, the old pulp novel yeah, stuff yeah just um, just beautiful yeah and, and so diverse well I mean I'm a real sucker for that Walt Newton Philip Jose Farmer type everything counts type literature uh, <laughs> and like Tarzan's in the same universe as Flash Gordon oh, yeah. in the same universe as Batman big, yeah I like that idea a whole lot um, so it, it, to have it in like a series proper like this is, is quite nice and I found myself uh, particularly in the early parts trying to connect who's who let's see oh, yeah. trying to determine this guy's the shadow mm-hmm. this guy is I guess a stand in for Superman this guy is John Constantine you know yeah. um, and that, 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 that's, that's pretty enjoyable and there's probably uh, a, an overriding theme that we can talk about here in a second um, regarding this series and what he's saying about some of these characters which I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on but before we do that um, let's let's fanboy out for a second um, as far as your favorite issue in the entire run, if you can possibly break it down, if you have to have two, that's fine. Too. Um, but tell me, tell me about it. Like, what is gray? Um, I'll start with you if you don't mind. I'm going to put you on the spot first. Um, of all those issues, what's the one that you find yourself like, I just like to read that again just because it's so fun. I really love number 11, the Nick Fury, uh, the Steranko riff mm-hmm. issue. Um, it's, it's just so cool. Um, it has so much, so much fun spy stuff and uh, and riffs on Marvel itself. I mean, they they shoot Nick Fury in the head basically, and I think the first or second panel of the issue, which I don't think I picked up on the first time I read it, but that's that's pretty hilarious. Um, and I like the uh, the one that I mentioned before, the uh, thirteen, the the first one that I picked up because it's so close to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and that sort of thing. And I'm, I was trying to find dates. Um, so I think League started a little bit after this. Or no, the, I actually have that issue, mm-hmm. the single for that issue. And in the letters page, it has the first League trade came okay. out the same week wow. that okay. issue came out. So that's cool. Um, so League had been going for a little while. But it started after Planetary did. Would have been probably. probably about the same time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. I was trying to f- align those things. Oh, anyway. I, I have so many questions about that. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, the, uh, the the S.H.I.E.L.D. episode is great, and uh, uh, the issue, rather, and uh, and probably the, the, the Sherlock Holmes Dracula. Um, I like a lot of them, though. <laughs> yeah, seeing Dracula get kicked in the balls. Yes, uh, the <laughs> balls the lap. That was one of my favorite lines. Yeah. That's very Alice. Yeah. yeah. Um, John, what about you as a favorite? Um, the first time I read it, and the one that always stuck in my head was The Gun Club. I really like that one. Um, just because, uh, personally, I'm a home buddy, and I don't like leaving my house if I don't need to. So just the idea of just a group of people who would just have the ambition, and um, just just because they can, they'll 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 shoot themselves into space, even though they'll know they probably don't have the the technology to come back. Just just uh, I, I like that one a lot. But during the second read, I. Um, the Godzilla one got to me. Just, yeah. just the uh, splash page of um, the dead Mothra. Yeah. Just it gets me. Mm-hmm. Like once I turned to it, I, I had to stop and just stare at it. So I think for now, I think it's Godzilla. Yeah, it's one of the best covers for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think my favorite issue the whole run where everything just felt so sublime to me was the William Leathers yeah. background issue. Yeah, where we learn about uh, who his father was, basically. Basically, William Leathers is the stand-in for Johnny Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out his father, at least you know his adopted father, per se, is the Shadow, whose father, in turn... The Shadow yeah. slash Green Hornet. Yeah, right. Because yeah, right. they tie it into Lone Ranger. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so Lone Ranger's like the grandfather right. of, the, of the crew. And yeah. you sort of learn about the... Uh, the lineage that 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 the Lone Rangers type character got from the from the Tonto, which then was inherited by the Shadow Green Hornet character, which Johnny Storm's character did not get. Thus, his involvement in the uh, in the in the thing that sent him into space yes, and the, Artemis, yeah, the, the whole the whole experiment. Um, so that that was just an issue that just that just sort of underlined everything that I liked so much about the series. It's probably no one else's favorite issue. No, no, I like, I like it a lot. lot. I mean, um, it, um, Leathers, um, just why he did what he did, just because of um, his birthright that was taken from him. Well, I feel like he's like the only guy in the four that gets really fleshed out. Yes, yes. yeah. Um, which is too bad. I know. I wish there was a standalone issue for Sue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, sadly, Sue, even in the real Marvel universe, uh, she's, she, she, she doesn't necessarily get her due sometimes. Maybe that was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> but perhaps. Uh, Matt, what about you, man? Uh, my favorite, just straight from my gut, is the, uh, the Captain Marvel issue. Okay. Um, I, I remember on first read, that was the issue that really, really clicked for me. I don't think it's the best written. I don't even necessarily think it's the best drawn. But the way everything comes together in that issue I really really love I have to remind myself which one that is so that's issue 4 uh, which is the, the, where you first see the shift ship and uh, that right there with Wilder where he basically turns into Shazam oh my so. god that's supposed to be Captain Marvel <laughs> oh I didn't even know I, I did not oh, yeah I, I mean he's know. he's basically Shazam Wild, okay. Because, you know, the first thing I thought... I can be, say that, right? Nobody's going to be like, his name is not Shazam. <laughs> you can say it. I'm no, over okay. it. I'm, I'm way over it now. I used to not be, but now, now I totally am. Yeah. Um, He's got the lightning bolt on the chest. Well, right. Isn't there another guy with a lightning there's, bolt? Well, there's 
somebody else whose last name is Marvel. Yeah. Um, who's really more of a Flash Gordon type character is how I always read him. Okay. Because so. I, mean, I remember somebody else, like there's like a, a cover with like a guy with a lightning bolt. And I'm trying to remember the issues now. It's starting to meld together. It's not issue four though, right? No, no, no. It's not that one. It's, 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 I'm going to have to look it up as, as Harper's talking and we'll, uh, I'll figure this out. But I'm okay. trying to remember what the, what the, uh, actual archetype's supposed to be for that one. Um, but yeah, Harper, what, what about yours, man? You know, you guys have named some really, really good ones, but I have to go with the first issue. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, to me, that issue reads like a like a fully fleshed out graphic novel. Like I can read that first issue over and over and over again. Just the way it, it builds the characters and the universe, uh, even though it's kind of an already established universe, um, and this organization it sets up the mystery. Um, and then you know any any other first issue would that would be plenty to cover that. But then they go into this entire other world of the the pulp heroes and the Snowflake computer and the alternate universe JLA who's, you know, it's, this is their crisis from the other perspective. <laughs> um, just, it's unbelievable how much stuff gets crammed in there and it's all yeah. done really, really well. And it's stuff that pays off throughout the rest of the series. All Most of those characters, like we talked about, those both characters come back um, in different ways and, and have a part to play too. Um, there's lots of other ones I dig. Uh, that one's got to be my favorite, but um, art-wise, I think the the um, number what's it? number eight with the um, the secret science lab and the giant the fifties monster movies yes. mm-hmm. um, art wise that's probably my favorite that page with with Jakita jumping up yeah. fighting the ants is ridiculous it's, that's the first thing I always think of when I think about that but. Um, by the way so Matt Matt just pointed out to me there, I just realized there are a couple of Superman Captain Marvel archetypes in this series then because not only did what is that so, so you were thinking of John Cumberland. Yes. Who his story is told in Stormwatch. Mm. Um, he the the story he tells here, he died unknown as he lived, vaporized trying to bring down a United Nations space platform. That's a Stormwatch story. Is it okay? Mm-hmm. okay. And he was also one of the century babies. Um but he's more of a straight Superman. Okay. You know, he's alien, came to Earth. Well, yeah. there's a couple of Superman analogs that show up throughout the series, though. I mean, okay, you mentioned that Marvel guy who was the who was the first person I was actually thinking of with the lightning bolt on mm-hmm. his chest. But you say he's more like Flash Gordon. It's space traveler. Are that's you the about Cumberland or wait? No, no, no. In the the what? Outback, in the Aboriginal issue. Oh, that's where it was. With I, the I, giant. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the guy that traveled into dream space? Yes. yes. Yeah. I, I read him as more of a Flash Gordon. Okay, yeah. and then you've got the guy that shows up at the. Um, uh, the John Constantine is a John like John Carter or whatever yeah, his name yeah, is the psycho killer that appears yeah, yeah. he's kind of a Superman type too yeah. right so I'd like to talk about that issue if we <laughs> can because I know that a future question is least favorite issue uh, that, and yeah. that is I, I like a lot of things about that issue I like what that issue does it's more than any other issue it really engages the material that it's referencing um, but it Pulls me too far out of the story. It's pretty heavy handed. It's really heavy handed. And I could forgive it until you get to the end. <laughs> and it is kind of like Ellis patting himself on the back. And I, I seem to recall I've read that wasn't in the script, that Cassidy did that, did the, the Transmetropolitan reference on his own. No. Um, I may be misremembering that. It's been a long time. Uh, but um, I don't 
that doesn't do it for me. I, that, that, that was going to be my choice for least favorite as well. Um, and not just because of the ending, but also because I felt like it was maybe the most heavy-handed of all yeah. the references when you had, like, fake Swamp Thing, fake Animal Man, yeah, it's fake, fake Morpheus. Man. Yeah. 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 Cobra Morpheus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just a little too strong for me. Um, and yes, the Spider-Jerusalem ending was uh, more than I could handle. Um I mean, especially somebody that hasn't read Transmet, has no attachment to Transmet. It really turned me off. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you feel the same way I did. So, John, do you have a least favorite? Um, probably the Ancients. The, the, um, the Outback thing? Yeah, the Outback okay. one. Um, not sure why, just that um, it, it it didn't really, I didn't feel like it fit in anywhere. Or maybe it did and I just didn't. I, I, uh, I didn't feel it. I didn't see it, but um, that was the only one that came to my mind. But it does have this panel it of like, Shakita hanging underneath the helicopter, yeah. <laughs> shooting a data rifle at awesome. an ancient creative being. Yeah, Ayers <laughs> Rock standing up and kicking ass, kind of like I was like, all right, I like that. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, what about you, Gray? Um, the one where he visits Melantha is—I mean, it's got some pretty stuff and it's like kind of a data dump really um i i didn't didn't really click with me the first time i read it i appreciated it a lot more as i reread last night in the flow of the story Mm -hmm. um and i'm not a big fan of the um the authority crossover if we're counting that no we absolutely you you can absolutely count them if you want okay i'm changing my Uh, now, you know, I actually like the uh, the world underneath the world type crossover where where he sort of goes into is it is it like dream space that he goes into with Melanthia or is it what is that? They don't really give it a name that I recall. I thought that was like the informational universe, the, the yes. 2D universe, the yeah. underverse. Yeah, yeah. There, was, yeah. There, was, there was there. There's a lot of room at the bottom, or yeah. what was the what was the Feynman paper? I thought that was a very important yeah. issue. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. Set up his motivations yeah. for yeah. the last yeah. six yeah. or seven issues, right? But yeah. um, um, it took a couple of reads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's very much like uh, I don't know if any of you follow Ellis on social media, uh, but where you see him catalog his research material on social media. That was one of those where you're like, okay, that's that piece that he read. That's that piece that he read. That's that piece that he read. And he's melding them all together in some Terrence McKenna, you know, like drug trip way. And I liked it. I I enjoy that. Uh, He's written entire series that are like that. It works better as a small piece than as the driving force of the series. He's always the guy that people seem to turn to for research material as well. So he must he must have a reputation for that in the industry. Because I know Greg Rucka went to him for Lazarus uh, when he was pulling together any information about like uh, biogenetics and uh, stem stem cell research and stuff like that. He was uh, what, what do you have on this information so I can make this as, as scientifically accurate as possible. Um, I don't know what his background is educationally. I mean, I don't know if he's anything beyond just a writer that has an interest in it. Or I mean, if you follow him, like Matt said, you'll see you'll see these these data flows just <laughs> happening and and coming together in the things that he talks about and the things that he posts. And uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting. When, when he was researching, uh, what was his first novel? I'm um, blanking. Crooked Little Vein. Crooked Little Vein. That was an interesting time because it was all deviant oh, God, sex. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so all his research links were <laughs> deviant sex and yeah. that sort of thing. This this might not be here tomorrow. Here, look at it now. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, well, I follow him on Twitter, and all I know is he is not the guy that plays with Nick Cave, and don't ask him about Nick Cave. <laughs> not, not that musician. <laughs> Though I love that musician, by the way. Mm-hmm. Harper, I'm sorry, man. What, what, what's your least favorite issue of the whole run? Um, the Melanchthon one is, is maybe it. Um, that's the one I feel like is the least. Um, it, it does cover a genre in that it's kind of like the psychedelic, you know, shamanistic kind of thing. But, um, but to me, it's not as compelling as some of the other episodic ones. Um, but outside of that, uh, it's number 20, um, which is really 1920 are kind of the only two-part story with the, mm-hmm. the spacecraft and the angels and Jacob Green. Um, I just feel like that story could have been told in one issue, and, and most of it is told in 19. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 is really just an excuse for them to, to say, uh, oh, Elijah's maybe kind of you know turning a little bit, which feels a little empty to me, too, like, you know, these are the most evil people in the universe. I, I thought this is what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Their their kind of um, complaint, or not complaint, but worried about him seems kind of unfounded to me. So that might be my least favorite. I actually like that issue in terms of its visuals, though. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. a gorgeous issue. Yeah, like, I mean, this the, the giant thing that's, like, sitting there that they're, you know, basically Galactus, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, Suckling at its giant nipple and <laughs> dying in the process, apparently. <laughs> I, I, I love that visual. It, it, it sort of strikes me as the same sort of thing that we were talking about last night in, in, in book club, but why, what I like about Prophet, you know, it's just these giant Kirby-esque uh, things that are just out in space. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a, a strong affinity for that kind of visualization. Um, but I do understand that probably it should have been tied down to one issue. But some of that might come down to Cassidy's style of storytelling, too. Yeah. I mean, he's a one-panel splash page kind of guy. Well, the 19 time. takes so much time to explore that yeah. that ship, and I wouldn't trade any of that. Sure. Because it's just gorgeous. Yeah, so. I agree. I do. Um, so, you know, Planetary has an interesting view of superheroes, sci-fi fiction, pulp literature, uh, all these types of stories. Uh, you know, I... It, it begs me to ask the question, I mean, is this, is Planetary on the whole a celebration of all of these forms? Would you say that it's uh, a reconstruction, a deconstruction of them? I mean, revision, revisionist literature on some of these different uh, genres? Well, what do you see Planetary as? I mean, it's not a parody? I mean, what, what, what could it be? I'm just, cur- I'm just curious your thoughts when you're reading this. I mean, is it something that, like, does a service to any of these genres? I think outside of issue seven that we've kind of talked about already, um, where he's very much, you know, kind of talking down to, to a kind of comic or kind of storytelling. I think overall it's, it's Ellis's attempt to not only just bring all these genres together, but to bridge the gap from pulp heroes to superheroes and to, you know, what comes next. Um, and I think that that works really, really well and it feels very natural. Um, and it's a fascinating kind of history that he builds throughout the series for that. Yeah, I think yeah, building a history, I guess, is a good way to put it because he's he is he's creating one big timeline of all these things that are in our world types of fiction, but uh, he's making them into one sort of history of this world, there the the Wildstorm universe, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And when people talk about um, Morrison's hypertime where everything counts, that's what this feels like to me. It's like mm-hmm. all of science fiction and, and superhero fiction and comic fiction all of it comes together and he puts it together in a way that makes a lot of sense it's not to me as much as i love morrison's batman run and stuff a lot of that is just like um you know oh i was you know i was uh drugged by somebody and so i thought this was happening but it wasn't really this is like 
here's how it all comes together with pulp heroes morphing into superheroes and, and yeah, I think it's it's a reclamation of the things that he likes about pop culture in general, but superheroes specifically, which is not a ton, but he goes back to find the core of it that he likes a lot. I see. Um, and builds out from there, in my opinion. I, 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 I get curious about if, if anyone's tried to put together like a, a, a written timeline of the events, you know, of, of like this was the first hero that appeared in this universe and this is like sort of when the actual superhero started showing up. So the problem with that is that he references previous Wildstorm history when it's convenient Mm -hmm. for him and when, especially when it's stuff that he wrote, but, uh, which is fine by me, but does ignore a lot of things, especially in planetary. I mean, when Jakita is surprised that there are alien ships that they have. Right. And she's like, said he's been searching for years, never found a signal. And I'm like, fucking demonites have been, you know, like, <laughs> like you've known about aliens on Earth yeah, for a which, long time. by the time. way, this is one of my favorite things is the, the demonite quote, demonites. And yes. it, uh, you guys, maybe they were the main villains in Wild, the first run of Wildcats, like the Jim okay. Lee days. Yes. Oh, I mean, the, so it was, the, the entire Wildstorm universe is built on alien meddling yeah. on Earth. <laughs> okay. So it's, it works great as a piece of planetary, but if you were to go back and try to map it onto the broader universe, even including really the Stormwatch stuff, it's tough. Mm. Um, even though it references it quite a bit, it's it doesn't all quite make sense. He ignores what he needs to to make the right thematic points yeah. in planetary. I mean, that's which a, I don't have a problem yeah. with. Yeah, that would be like that would be like the the that, they're trying to line up with Wildcats and Grifter and any of these characters that that doesn't necessarily bother me, honestly. <laughs> right. Um, not if it did, and obviously not. where the book ends up is not where Does any not of the Wild Storm universe was <laughs> yeah, at the time. <laughs> I don't even know. Honestly, like I don't even know what Wild Storm was doing by the time this. I mean, didn't they sort of reboot, kill off, and re- they did like some sort of apocalyptic event? I know at some point that was well the, after this. I think in the two thousands. I don't remember exactly when wrong. that fell. Well, when did Planetary end? but let's say functionally it ended in two thousand six. Right. And you had Dakota come later. Oh, right. right. Gotcha. Yeah, because I've only read so many of these things, so I... I I mean, I know that, like, the authority was eventually taken over by Ed Brubaker at one point, and then far worse writers took over after that. Um, So I'm not sure necessarily, like, what... uh, like what came after planetary, if anything, in that in the chronology of that universe. It's it's like I said, yeah. where this ends up is not where anything else ended up. So I, I wouldn't try to read too much. I wouldn't say, oh, I want to go find out what happened with the Heart Corporation. You're not going to get that. <laughs> no. That's too bad. Oh, what right. a shame. Reading this, I always thought this was Ellis's least cynical work. I always thought totally. uh, uh, this is his love letter to all the things that he loved mm-hmm. and. Um, um, that's why I think I, I do not think it is a parody, or or he is um, trying to make fun of uh, sci-fi stories. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I that I mean, it was a broad claim I made when I got done reading this, but I thought, man, this could stand up next to Watchmen for me at least um, in the short term. Yeah. Because it feels like it does the opposite things of what Watchmen was aiming mm-hmm. to do. Sure. I mean, it's not. 
you know, you don't, you don't necessarily see the internal problems of what people wearing costumes would be dealing with. Instead, this is like a grand celebration of all yes. those things. It is, but I think that like Watchmen, it draws definite divisions between the ages mm-hmm. that it's talking about. When it's talking about the golden age of comics and pulp and sci-fi, it's undoubtedly celebratory. When you get to the Silver Age, it darkens. Yeah. And that, I don't think, is really explored to the extent where I feel like you could say he's making a statement about it. Okay. But it's consistent. So it makes me wonder whether that is completely intentional or whether it just, you know, functionally we needed a villain. So let's make it the dawn of the Marvel age. You know, <laughs> that, that was going to be my question after that was, you know, is, is, is he trying to make a condemnation of, of Kirby's work? Because not only is the, are the four like the villains are the linchpin for the final action of the whole series and sort of what's been going on behind the scenes in terms of like the killing of Superman and the death of Green Lantern type character and Wonder Woman destruction of Paradise Island. Um, but also they're making a deal with basically Apocalypse and trying to bring Apocalypse to Earth, which was my favorite, maybe my favorite moment in the entire series, seeing that. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. But what is he trying to say about Kirby? Is is he trying to say anything at all? If he is, and and I I think that's a... It's the same observation I had, but I guess where I'm getting at is it's not saying anything coherent about it. It's... You know, I tried to put it together in my head. Is is he saying that trying to make superheroes more realistic corrupts the whole thing? Maybe there's an element of that, but it's not played out enough to be a a real thesis, I don't right. think. Would you say that's a weakness in the work? For its long-term appeal for me, okay. yeah. yeah. I think it works very well as pulp entertainment right. in itself, but as a... As an examination or critique, it doesn't hold up for me as well as I remembered it. I see. Anybody else have thoughts on on the on the villains of the story? I mean, the the Kirby esque uh, side of things. That's a that's a tough one because while obviously I mean, clearly he made the Fantastic Four into villains, so there's something something there. But I think overall, the, the planetary really celebrates science heroes, uh, which is the Silver Age. You know, that's the whole idea, right? Um, and just big crazy scientific ideas about the multiverse and, um, you know, uh, spaces in between universes and time travel. and all. I mean, that's all very Silver Age kind of stuff. Is um, it, though? I mean, are the only science heroes from the Silver Age? or The, the ones that he's... Know. Well, but there's a lot of science hero stuff in the 20s and 30s, yeah. too, um, which is the stuff that, uh, that Alan Moore draws on a lot in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Tom Strong. Right. You know, that... Which the like old, scientist adventure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The... the you know, Doc Savage mm-hmm. essentially is a science hero. Um, I think he, you can make an argument that he's valuing that more than he's valuing post sixties. Yeah. Superhero. I mean, those guys show up in the, the first group in the secret conspiracy, uh, in this book. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we see the value there, but yeah, then things move on. Yeah. Um, John, do you have anything else you want to say about the last bit? Um, well, it's it's just interesting how um, I don't know how it relates to maybe something like The Incredibles, but it looks like he's trying to pit um, the century babies who are born this way in contrast to the, I guess the Fantastic Four who who um, 
got their powers by just trying to make themselves special. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, and like what Matt said, I don't know if he has a clear critique of uh, early Marvel sixties. So let me let me let me get to something that's been that, that's been sort of digging at here. He mentioned this term "century babies," and and uh, I have I mean some familiarity with it. I get the idea of it. How many are there at this point in the Ellis chronology? Okay, so let's count them. We've got Elijah Snow. Uh-huh. Uh, aren't the aren't all of the Cabal? Aren't they? They don't specifically say all of them are. They, uh, two so, or three. They okay, so say. so let's let's start with them then. Yeah. So Doc Brass <laughs> okay. definitely is. One yeah. thing weird though is Doc Brass Doc is Brass. is almost created as they talk about his whole like Nazi uh, as, a, as a result of, of breeding. The breeding yes, program. Breeding. Yes. breeding with his parents. Right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so Doc Brass definitely is. Hark definitely yes. is. Okay. And Blackstock the, is. Right. Blackstock is, and the spider is. Yeah. Okay. okay so we know four. And since we're t- since we're mentioning it for anybody that doesn't know, so a- Axel Axel Brass is the Doc Savage character. Mm-hmm. Hark is the Fu Manchu Rachel Ghoul almost type character. Sure, Give, sure. Him and his daughter and mm-hmm. all. Sure. Um, with the other two, you have the Shadow, the, the Shadow, and the Tarzan. And the Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you've got uh, keeping in this book. Yeah. You've got Elijah Snow. Uh huh. You've got Jenny Sparks. Jenny Sparks. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No. Uh, so that's six. Was the high one of? Yes, the, John yes. Cumberland, the high. Okay. The, the Superman analog. Okay. Um, the Fury analog is not. That's what I was trying to. The James Bond. John, he, says, he says. He says. He says. Yeah. He says his aging is thanks to them. Yeah. And that's they, what they, they have. Yeah. He has an aging for. Um. Years. So that's seven. Okay. I'm sure there are others in Stormwatch that okay. I'm. Forgetting, I haven't read it all. I mean, I know that eventually another one is born after right. uh, after Jenny Sparks <laughs> dies, <Yeah>. but <laughs> the uh, it, it, it's just interesting to me. Is she the only? How many of them die before the century even yeah. runs out? Was the uh, rules are not consistent? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, it's, it's it's they're not necessarily supposed to die at the end of the century. That's Jenny Quantum a next century baby. Yeah, yeah. but that's a Mark Millar yeah. thing. Actually, isn't she born at the end of Ellis's run? Yeah, that's like the last page. That's the last page, yeah. Yeah. Um, So seven that I know for sure, and I'm sure we're forgetting. Yeah, and then the potential of the two or three others of the cabal that we didn't know. Right. Edison, the operator, and Jimmy. Or Jimmy, the operator, and uh, the... So I always... Aviator. Wondered why Jimmy, the operator, looks exactly like John Stone... Uh, he's got the scar over his eyebrow and everything. But he's not like it's been confirmed. He's not John Stone, but it's a design that's exactly. He's first of all, he's a spy. Yeah, you know, um, doesn't really make a ton. And John Stone is the James Bond meets Nick Fury guy, right? Okay. Yes. All right. With the blitz suit. Blitz yes. yes. I can hear it spinning up. He's probably one of my favorite characters in the whole story. Yeah. 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 It's like Great. three issues and it's it's always fun. They're always yeah. very good. I mean he and Axel Brass, I mean they're they're really awesome. To, to be able to read about. Well, it's, it's, they're great characters for Snow to go bounce things off of. And, right. you know, which turn into exposition yeah. for us, but in a really entertaining way. Yeah, they serve the exact same purpose, actually, uh, after after a fashion. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. Um, so, by the end of the story, <laughs> uh, Planetary, when they do defeat the four, and this is kind of a philosophical question I have about the series, uh, 
both Harper and I were, were thinking about. When they retrieve all the technology from the four, in the last issue, they decide to share all the technology that the four has been hoarding with humanity. And I mean, this is just all kinds of technology. It's, you know, cures for cancer, whatever. I mean, just the dream stuff that the four has been keeping from humanity altogether. Um, without really any really regard to consequences at all and where it might take humanity. Is that better or worse than what the four did by hanging on to that technology and keeping it from us? Is a way, if you were the one making that decision, just out of curiosity, what would you do? Would you share all of that with your fellow man or would you think that your fellow man might pervert it in some way? It's a, it's a weird one because it's, it's one of those things where you can see how it would get to the point like the uh, JLA uh, uh, planetary crossover. Yeah. It almost seems like that's, to me, that's almost a sequel to it in some ways, yeah. in ways I'm not 100% satisfied with. But in that, you know, in giving this stuff out, they have to, dis- they have to be the ones who make the decision what they should give out, how they should use it. And it, at some point that can kind of become a, a kind of corruption where they, like, we know what's best for, for humanity. Like, it's up to us to decide what they get and what they don't. Um, and it's just kind of an odd thing because it's, it's not like the world is a terrible place necessarily where, you know, even with the four, I mean, obviously if they gave it over to Apocalypse, it would be. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that Earth only had 50 years. Before right. they were supposed to give it away, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a tough one. I think the argument that the in-universe argument that say Snow would make is that humanity was meant to have these things yeah. and was prevented from getting them, and so it's almost like he's not making an active choice to give it. It's not his to give. It was theirs to stop from giving, and he has removed that barrier. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you could debate the ethics of that, but I, I think that's a pretty strong argument. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would land. Right, I agree. Um, this world is not supposed to be our world. It's it's a strange world, and it's supposed to be strange. Right. And the fact that, um, well, when you find Snow's purpose and how all he is supposed to do is save information, save the world. I, I think um, his intention is in the right place. So. And I think that you get the list of goods that come out of it. Right. It's kind of unambiguous. Yeah. It's, it's cure, can't cure for cancer, yeah. free food and shelter yeah. for everybody on Earth. And it's hard to argue against those things. Not that those things couldn't and wouldn't be perverted, yeah. but yeah. the way they're listed, it's... Something bad's got to be in there, too, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? I mean, no, we got not, sure. not to be, uh, you know, overpopulation here. Yeah. 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 They take a nice what-if look at it at the start in the JLA book, a little like Harper mentioned. He kind of, I think he took his opportunity to, well, although he'd written that uh, several Prior. years yeah. before the end of the book, but um, both, a couple of the crossovers have some things that are very interesting in, in retrospective after the book ends. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I feel like there have to be weapons of mass destruction in there with all those cure-alls, too. Yeah. I mean, there's no way the four were hanging on to all the good stuff, and that's yeah. it, you know? There had to be other things that they had in their back pocket. Well, and one of the kind of interesting things, I think this applies to the whole series, but the last issue especially, and it applies to authority as well, is Ellis is trying to create um, proactive heroes instead of reactive heroes. Mm-hmm. So they don't just respond to crisis, although, although uh, crises, although authority does to some degree, but they, they you know go back to the source and 
those kind of things. But um, the idea is to kind of make the world a better place before it needs saving, um, which is kind of an interesting concept, I think. I think you can look at the authority as the counter-argument to planetary. Okay. Because I think he said kind of unambiguously, the authority are the bad guys in that story, in his opinion. Um, not not the worst guys, yeah. but the bad guys. Um, so I think that's where he gets a lot of this played out, and I guess possibly in the JLA crossover, which I neglected to reread. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Well, I, yeah, it's funny. I didn't, I never quite got that that they were the bad guys, but you know, I only read it one time. Authority. Um, I just sort of read it as a big adventure story, yeah. so I may have missed the greater it's, meaning. It's one of those that if you you look at the story from the perspective of average citizen on Earth, okay. what does it mean? Okay. It's they're the, the overlords. They're the planet. overlords. <laughs> they're ruling your planet, yeah. and they're saying that what they say goes. I see. You know, they're the authority, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that ruling the planet? Is that the title or is that a subtitle? Uh, I can't ruling remember. the world. Ruling yeah, the yeah, world. That's right. Authority yeah. crossover. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. I, it, I, I, you know, for me, it just becomes a question of. I'm trying to remember why exactly the four were hoarding the technology they were hoarding in the first place. I think they, they wanted to take it with them to, or, to wherever they were going next. Yeah, or just yeah. just so they could, you know, be the most powerful. You know, beings in the multiverse or whatever. I guess. Yeah, I think Randall stated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's plenty of Earths for us to conquer with all this cool stuff we use <laughs> to use for our weapons cache. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely an interesting question to ask, and I, I just, I was just kind of curious where y'all might have stand on, stood on that. Uh, um, from your own personal reading of this story. Do you think it holds together well on an issue-by-issue basis, or do you think the collected edition is... Well, now, of course, it's the only way to go, since we're years after the fact. But um, would you have preferred to have read this all in one shot at this point? I think if, if, this, if the publishing schedule had been consistent, if it was coming out once a month or even once every two months, it could have been a really, really compelling read on a single-issue basis. Um, to me, Planetary is the most successful comic in in the way that it tells stories that can be read as single issue one and done, but also, you know, hooks you in for the next issue in a lot of ways. Um, but also if you, when you read them in trades, you, if they didn't put the covers in there, you might never know the, the divisions between issues in some cases. The, the story is really, really fluid. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't feel necessarily episodic, particularly the second half, um, doesn't feel episodic in a, in a way that takes away from it. Um, where I think a lot of a lot of modern comics, you know, writing for the trade kind of thing, the single issues by themselves are not that consequential mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know looking at one issue by itself. I know that trying to review single issues that's an issue I have a lot of the time. Um, yeah. I think Planetary is really successful at both, um, which is rare. I'd have been so unsatisfied if I'd read this issue by issue. Yeah, because they feel like they read so fast. Yeah, um, I, honestly, I mean, I'm sure uh, eventually, in hindsight, I would said, "Oh, this is great," but. I, my patience probably would have run out really quickly as much as I love the concept because having it all in front of me really helped out because I knew there's more to read. But if I had read the one issue, I'm like, ugh, there another, ugh, another standalone, yeah. ugh, another standalone. Well, and I think that that, you know, having read it that way to start with, having read it issue by issue, um, you approach it differently. Okay. You really, it really kind of made you latch on to the genre that that book that that issue was trying to do and appreciating it as an object in and of itself um 
I still have this, all the single issues from the back half of the run, and that's how I reread it yesterday. And I, pulling them out and the cover designs on each issue were so unique, yeah. and not only from each other, but from anything else that was on the stands at right. the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one is like a perfect little object. They are, you know, it's it's logo design and everything. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, so I, I was never dissatisfied reading it issue to issue. Obviously, the weights were frustrating. 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 But I I, I never, it never got to the point where I wasn't looking forward to the next one. Same, same here. Yeah. So. It was always very exciting when a new issue did arrive. (laughs) Yes. Very exciting. That That, that reminds me of like, uh, (laughs) no, I hate hate to bring it up because I hate it, but Ultimates, (laughs) my, my, my story of waiting for Ultimates is this. That series started the first volume when I was a freshman in college. It wrapped up when I was a senior in college. The first one? Yeah, I think so. Or at least like the... Maybe uh, the second volume. Maybe. Maybe. It was definitely like late in my college career. (laughs) And we're only talking about 26 issues. So Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine like the waiting for this one particular one when there was no closure until you got to the end of it. So you got to issue 27. So I can imagine the frustration throughout... Um, John, do you imagine reading this in single issue form? No. Um, I, especially the second half when all the pieces come together, I, I think, um, I, for me, I wanted to read it all in one sitting just because um, ju- just in the stories itself, it seems like Elijah was very quickly trying to, trying to make his plan and, and execute it. And um, uh, that's why I like it a lot. And um, just going back, um, I I intentionally read it, read it as issue by issue the first half when it was all just standalones. And I did not like the um, the second one, the Hong Kong one, just because like what Kyle said, it just ended. And I felt like it did not fit anywhere. But then reading the last half when it kept referring back to that hard drive of mm-hmm. souls and all that, and uh, yeah. it, 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 it made a lot more sense to me and it improved that issue a lot for me. That was going to be my worst, uh, my worst issue. Until, 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 until follow exactly. Happened, Which, yeah. right. uh, but the, ironically, the issue that really brings that to the forefront is the Melantha issue. Yes. Uh, which I think you said was your least favorite issue. <laughs> no, no, it was, that was great. <laughs> right. but, uh, I did not hate it. Yeah. But, uh, I, I understand why it might not be a, sure. a favorite issue. Um, I did have to read it a couple more times because I knew it was an important issue. Yeah. And just a lot of the images that were repeat, the flower. The flower. Yeah, exactly. Um, the John, I know your answer to this already since Planetary is your only Wildstorm thing you've read. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask like a double, a double, a double, uh, pronged question then because I know John's read more Ellis and he's read Wildstorm and I know some some of y'all probably read more Wildstorm than you've read Ellis um, where do you think planetary planetary stands in the entire like Wildstorm ethos I mean do you think it's like the best thing Wildstorm ever put out um, I'll start that for the guys who've read a lot of Wildstorm stuff I mean where does it stand I think as a single object yes it's the best it's the best Wildstorm comic okay yeah, it, that, yes, I would agree. Um, I mean, I was a fan of... I was reading some of Jim Lee's stuff when it first started at Image, and it was fun for me at the time, you know, mm-hmm. as a young gray. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was certainly not uh, especially highbrow. 
Um, and yeah, this this as a collected item is is just leagues beyond right. pretty much all of that. I really love his Stormwatch. I think that there's some great uh, long form kind of superhero storytelling going on in that. But you're really compromised by fill in art yeah. and rushed art. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this series is maybe one of the strongest arguments against fill-ins. Yeah. You know, as, as much as you can say, this would have been frustrating to read month to month. Now it's done. And you've got this one book that's just consistent throughout. There's no fill-ins. Right. It's, it's pretty satisfying. I mean, I flipped through that Stormwatch stuff. I mean, I'm not like the biggest Tom Rainey fan mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, Cause unfortunately I've looks kind of like, 90s Wildstorm stuff, image mm-hmm. stuff, which is not, which isn't as attractive to me as like Brian Hitch or John Cassidy's work. Sure. So that's why I was like immediately drawn to this stuff, whereas Stormwatch is not something that I nef- def- definitely wanted to dig into. Um, Harper, have you read more Wildstorm stuff than this? I can't remember. Only, only Ellis's Authority. Okay. That's really it. Gotcha. So, um, and I like this better than Authority. Um, I mean, Authority's good, but it's a, it's a wholly different argument, different themes. Yeah. Um, it's, that to me, that's more of an action movie where this is more of, something this this would be the criterion <laughs> I, you know i'm not sure if i like this better than sleeper or not um that's like the only thing that compares for me i love sleeper um and they're very different i mean it's almost impossible to compare the two but they're in the same universe so it's sort of like one is the grand scale uh you know epic that tells the story of everything related to Wildstorm, and the other one is the guy on the street um, and the gritty crime noir epic of Wild of Wildstorm, and I love them both. Um, I'm not sure which one's more rereadable either because I haven't reread either, but I sure did love the ride on both. So they're kind of like neck and neck for me, and they're like the same size too. They're both like 26, 27 issues. Um, so they kind of fit next nicely next to each other on the bookshelf for my Wildstorm. That's kind of all the Wildstorm I think I want at this point. Uh, maybe, maybe not. So okay, so. Prior to that, then, how does this compare to all of Ellis's works? Do you think it's amongst the best of his works? Um, do you think it is like more in the mid mid range, or is there something that you prefer a whole heck of a lot more? For you guys, have read more Ellis, John? Um, I, I think this is one of his best. Um, I, I, he tried another attempt as just standalone stories, uh, Global Frequency. I'm not sure if you guys read that. Um, I, I I think. With global frequency, um, each new issue has brand new characters. You can't really so you can only latch on to the concepts that he brings up and the action and how it ends. But um, with planetary, it, it kind of has it both ways. The first half is uh, uh, standalones, but with the uh, the emotional payoff of the second half and all the flashbacks and the backstories of how all these characters came together and what their origins were, I uh, I think it made that uh, that all the one the one off issues much better because uh, you care about them more. Mm-hmm. So um, th- that's why I think it, it's probably his best work. Solid. Yeah. yeah, I haven't read. I've read some other Ellis comics. I mean, this is my favorite. That's about all I'll go on. That's all I can say. Um, I just like this so much. But I, my answer is the exact same as yours at this point. I mean, I have so little Ellis experience that this this wins by default, but it's a nice default to win by. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've read a lot of Ellis. I'd say probably most of his comics work. There's mm-hmm. some Avatar stuff that, that I never picked up. But um, 
It's probably not my favorite, but it's top five. I got you. Which, which one is? Yeah. Uh, Transmet probably okay. ultimately I think is a better story because I, I do think you know whereas I was alluding to the fact that I think this thematically never really comes together. Conceptually, it's great, but it doesn't. It's not really saying. Yeah. It's not yeah. saying anything. Uh, Transmit does, uh-huh. and and I like that a lot better. Uh, Next wave, probably. Right. You know, right. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot uh, about that for a yeah. second. Yeah. <laughs> I like Next Wave a lot, also. Uh, uh, and let's see what else. I gotta crack that open. Those would be my my two that I could definitely put <clears throat> in front of this. Um, there would be others that on certain days I would probably put in front of this. Yeah. I've read so little. I mean, I've only only read the first trade of um of Transmetropolitan and, and Authority. And then a few single issues here here and there, but to me the only thing that I'm I'm not as crazy about as other stuff, and we've kind of mentioned already, is just how cynical most of the other stuff is. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, God, I've just recently I read um, uh, Ruins that he did. That's oh, like it's like, yeah. let's, like <laughs> let's look at Marvels, which is this like you know very oh. amazing like let's look in wonder at the Marvel universe, and then let's yeah. make it like the shittiest place. Yeah. <laughs> shittiest version of the Marvel Universe we possibly can. Yeah. I was curious about that series. I kind of wanted to track it down. It's, it's worth looking at, yeah. but it is, it's not a good book. Okay. Really? It's, it's, wow. It's yeah. way too dark for, for me. It's, it's, like, it's like basically suicide in the street dark. It's, it's like surprising that Marvel would publish it. Wow. Like it seems like an underground, like I fucking hate Marvels. Here's my, <laughs> here's my response book. And the fact that Marvel put that book out is... Huh. Surprising, right. and I'm not even a big Marvels fan, uh, and yeah. I'm still like that's too dark. Is is there any other Ellis stuff that's kind of more celebratory or optimistic like this is that you guys have seen? <sighs> I guess not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a tough question. I would have to look through his bibliography, which I may do while somebody's talking. Well, so, yeah. and, uh, I mean, and, like his mainstream Marvel stuff be more in line, like not 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 like the not ruins, obviously, but like maybe something like um, Ultimate Fantastic oh, Four. Oh, 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 so much of those seem like to me ultimately paycheck jobs, okay. which is there are some that I think you can see more care put into than others. Right, um, like I think his Secret Avengers is a very well-written, well-conceived comic. Right. Um, I'd say this two issues in, I'd say the same for Moon Knight. Yeah. But they don't strike me as the place where he does the bulk of his idea work, mm-hmm. his, his large-scale stuff. Yeah. I think Moon Knight's off to a great start also. Plug, plug. But, um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's it's cool storytelling. I don't think it's going to be a, a, any world-changing ideas or right. anything. Yeah, I've enjoyed that thus far. I mean, it could be, it could be pretty in, in, exciting. I mean, given how adventurous Marvel is, is uh, become under Axel Alonso these days, but um, potentially we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's a question I have. I'm going to skip one question over, and then I'll go back to the other one. Um, what happened to the fiction not in issue number nine? <laughs> it's the most frustrating thing about this series by far. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I, I have no idea. Well, the, so if they had passed it, it up, was reading it issue by issue. Yeah. <laughs> See, they pass it up, and then it's like, okay, well, maybe this will come back. And, you know, we go all the way through, and in the last issue, they bring it up. They mention <laughs> it. He knows that it would be riots right. if he had They mention it, and they, he still doesn't give any kind of clue as to what, who that was or what's going on. My only idea is that it's, it's maybe, it's the idea of kind of just that this story can transcend and go between 
you know, that it covers all, all that it brought all these different comic books together. That's the same idea as the fiction art kind of traveling between stories in, in that way. Or like, what does he say? Like jumping between the shelves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so like that killed me because that's the one, one of my favorite concepts in the whole, whole book. Well, I think that you've, you get those four facts laid out at the end of mm-hmm. the, uh, the Matrixy Grant Morrison issue mm-hmm. where it's like in 1997, the fourth man was missing in action. Well, we find out what happened with that. Yeah. Elijah Snow has never heard of Ambrose Chase. Well, we find out what happened with that. Jaquita Wagner was already a member of Planetary when Ambrose Chase became the third man. Okay, we find out mm-hmm. how that makes sense. And it's like the fourth individual brought back from the sample return mission is still at large. Which is like the most fascinating yeah, thing. Exactly. Uh, since he's, he's so clearly shrouded in mystery. Yeah, but, uh, you think it's going to have some big payoff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the interesting fact about this issue is that it apparently really pissed Grant Morrison off. Really? Why? Yeah. Uh, I think he felt like it wasn't so much homage to him as ripping him off. Oh, wow. Uh, which they, they, I believe that the actual individual issue had a dedication to him in it, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Um, but this was also right at the time when he was kind of at his hottest that the Matrix had ripped him off. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that might be tied into this. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a hanging plot thread, um, which is probably... It's one that they point out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> more than once, yeah. Uh, is there some metafictional answer that could be I, given? I mean, well, I, I think... I feel like Ellis was just um, pranking us because <laughs> the villain in the end, he was going through his monologue and he was about to pretty much reveal everything and Chiquita just kills him and that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and once he's dead, they'll never find out and we will never find out. And mm. I just feel like that's just Ellis just saying, nope, <laughs> you're not going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it, that, that might be the Ellis cynicism there at work. Yeah, you know, yeah. Veering uh, his ugly head. Yeah. yeah. I guess additionally in the tease idea, she even says, we'll dig it up and work it all out in a yeah. couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll, uh, it will happen off screen. <laughs> Uh, Since you mentioned it, the when they defeat uh, the four in number twenty six, did you guys find that a satisfying defeat for them? The the, the shift ship and all that. So you can just drop them like that? No, yeah. is the answer to that no? I, the fact that dropping them from a great height killed them, which I realized that they were the two that didn't have the physical sure. strength superpowers. So right. you know, I love bringing the shift ship back, but just the fact that it's just a giant hole. Yeah. That's how they kill him as a giant hole. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was hoping for something a little more clever. <laughs> I, I didn't mind it so much because I thought there was a lot of emotional closure by the series in. Like they beat, they kill him, and then you have another issue of of working out yeah. everything with, with the, dropping them on their corpses on the on apocalypse. That's satisfying, right? That's not real. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. With a note, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come knocking. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I liked that a lot, and then and then we had that whole issue. I mean that. Uh, that dealt with their uh, their their missing crew member. What's his name again? Ambrose. Ambrose. Yes, thank you. Um, like I, I thought that was particularly strong. So I was able to forgive some of the issues of um, of, of just the <laughs> the the, the uh, Roadrunner style, Wally Coyote style drop. But otherwise, yeah, I, I found it fairly satisfying. John, do you? Yeah, I think it was just intentional to show that um, the four. Uh, they were never, they they never had a chance to. Uh, they were not the same level as uh, Elijah Snow. Um, 
it, it was just LA Snow. Never had the the thought of or the ambition to take them out. He was just more focused on trying to uh, dig up secrets for the Earth. But once Snow like um, found his or, or had his mission to take them out, it was so quick. It was. Yeah, it was no contest. There's no real sense of dramatic tension, too. I mean, because yeah. once he knows everything, right. he's going to win. I mean, that's how it's going to end. I mean, right. they have they have no chance once he once he is fully collected and no longer impaired. And and I guess um, the shift ship was that was the one piece of technology that the four that Dowling uh, did not have, yeah. did not understand. Mm-hmm. So, but wanted. I mean, they made it really clear he wanted right. to be able to access the bleed at will. Right, mm-hmm. right, and I guess that um, that is why planetary always had the upper hand yeah. since since discovering that uh, ship. Who created the shift ship? It's it's along the same lines with the carrier that they don't really know where it came from. They just sort of found it, right? Right. Yeah. Like so, so so it's like the same sort of thing as it did, but that the authority are in that their, so. their ship. Okay, um, it's, it's not a Damonite thing, is it? No, it's okay. not explicitly. So. Okay, I didn't know. Didn't know if, it, if that was ever brought up. Uh, speaking of the four, um, so you got four members of Planetary with Am- when you include Ambrose, um, and then you have four members of the four. Do they mirror each other at all? So I, I, I honestly felt like that. That was almost uh, <laughs> they were almost like the white hats compared to those black hats, but they were four people fighting four people basically. Mm-hmm. And they kind of play with that in the in the JLA crossover as well, with right. having all four of them present in the JLA book. And right, um, I don't not necessarily a direct mirror, but. Um, one guy does ice, the other guy does fire. Mm, true. <laughs> Just bringing up, and you start thinking about abilities and powers too. I don't know if there's, if there's yeah. corollaries. Or I, not. I mean, like Ambrose is time distortion, and Randall is sort of brain distortion, or yeah. something. If you want yeah. to consider that, it's true. I read something about how the, the original Fantastic Four are sort of based on the elements um, in ways, and that that had kind of tied in. I'm trying to remember exactly how that linked up. Though, I mean, Elijah's obviously the water. Um, and and the uh, you know, stretching ability is kind of along those same lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Fluid, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, I'm trying to remember how the rest. But as a team, I think it's kind of interesting that they they're both doing the same thing. They're both trying to they're racing to uncover this secret history, um, and but they just have very different kind of perspectives on what they should do with it. Like Elijah, before Planetary even exists, to him it's just like this stuff is so awesome. Let's find it and, and celebrate it. Um, and but to the four, it's let's find this and exploit it as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, use I mean, it for our own gain. Yeah. yeah. Is there? So I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the powers of everybody now. So Elijah has ice powers. Jaquita is very fast and very strong. Mm-hmm. Basically, can kick a rhino over the Grand Canyon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Spine um, out of someone. The drummer. <laughs> yeah. The drummer like distorts computers or he can communicate with computers. With he sees information. Yeah. yeah. And Ambrose has like time distortion. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure how those line up with the elemental side of uh, of the of the fan, of the four, which are basically like also a spinoff of like Challenges of the Unknown too, right? That ties to that historically. So that's kind of similar to what Planetary does, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it, they're all kind of interesting, similar ideas. Um, and so maybe you could sort of see Planetary as the unencumbered version of what the four were. Right. I mean, like if you had challenges in the unknown, they were very clearly the uh, 
these explorers that had, didn't have any powers or anything, but they they had they had very noble goals. If the four were sort of like a perverted version of that, the planetarists were like bringing restoring balance. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch, but that's probably like the one connection I can think of between the two when I start thinking about oh the numbers, how the numbers line up. Um, if no one else has anything else to say about that particular point, I'm gonna ask this about the crossover stories. Let's talk about those three. So you've got the Authority crossover story, which is not popular amongst the group, it seems. Um, you've got the JLA crossover story that we've talked about a lot. And then we've got the Batman crossover story that's kind of a follow-on from the JLA one in a, in a way. Um, where do you think they fit into the main story? Do they fit at all? Um, which are your favorites? Um, what are your overall impressions of those three crossover stories? They, in, our, in my collection, they're at the very end. Yeah. It's same for John's, I, uh, yeah. I believe. Um, for Harper, he has to have a whole separate trade paperback of them <laughs> because they were not included in the uh, in the absolute editions. Um, do do when you, when you guys were rereading them, did you try to read it like within the story, or was it something that you didn't that you sort of caught at the end? I looked back at them at the end. Um, I think the Batman book can fit pretty much anywhere. Um, that one ties in nicely. Um, I think could could go somewhere in the first half and, and feel fairly natural. Mm-hmm. I'm actually sad it's not within the actual narrative of this omnibus. I mean, I know it doesn't have any real storyline significance, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's Cassidy art. Mm-hmm. And it, like, to me, it feels a piece of that first half where you're going through all the different genre excursions. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a Batman story, yeah, which in of itself point. is maybe its own genre at this point. And multiple genre, multiple styles of Batman, which is a lot of fun. I mean, it's a great way to close out the omnibus, I thought, but... That's a that's a fantastic Batman story, too, I think. It's one of mm-hmm. the best Batman stories to me. It's actually a shame that Ellis hasn't written more Batman, actually. He's got a very good grasp of the character. Yeah. Even if he thinks Dick Grayson is like a... Slimy pervert. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Only in that version of the universe, so though. <laughs> that part is super weird. I, so in, in the in the the Wildstorm version of Gotham City, yeah, mm-hmm. Dick Grayson is is disgusting. I don't know what happened to Bruce Wayne, but um, yeah, I, I definitely think the the Batman one is the, is the tip top of those three stories. But I thought the JLA one was interesting. Mm-hmm. That one provides some interesting kind of thematic. Ties. Like I said, it almost could serve as a sequel to the book. Like, here's what would happen if that, that's almost his um, his revisionist look at it. Is like, here's what would happen if planetary was real. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like clearly they would become corrupt, and, and you know they're kind of more along the lines of the authority. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also some callbacks to the issue with where where uh, the four kill uh, the Superman child. Yeah, yeah the Wonder Superman. Woman is exactly the same. Yeah, it's the same yeah. city. Yeah. And then also they have the what apparently is the same time device that they construct at the, the end time to rescue yeah, Ambrose, yeah. which Jakita says looks familiar. Uh, yes, in the last issue, she says you know when she sees the structure, uh-huh. she says it looks familiar. Yeah, so that's fun. They play with some ideas that. And there's a tie in the authority one, which again I didn't get a chance to reread these. I remember liking the yeah. authority crossover. Uh, there's a reference to the opening of that story in the main text okay. uh, where he talks about destroying the eggs mm-hmm. in uh, oh, right. in the Lovecraft bit, whatever that town that they mm-hmm. called it there. Uh, in the main text, of the main body of it, he refers to. Okay. That oh, okay. I'll, I'll do it. I can look for that. I don't think the authority one's that bad, honestly. I, I, I kind of like it. Um, I like that they tie in the ideas of the bleed with mm-hmm. the idea of the snowflake. Um, 
the computer and all that stuff. That's kind of cool. It expands on on the first issue in, in ways that the main series doesn't, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I feel like I wouldn't have gotten as much value out of it had I not read Authority, though. Well, sure. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I thought that was it for me. I mean, because you don't know those characters that well, right? Exactly. I mean, it, it, it becomes a little bit of an issue. And then you have to deal with alternate versions of those characters, which you don't know the regular characters. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, the, the JLA uh, planetary one is... I, I assume that's like an alternate universe. I mean, it, of, it's it's, it's it also random. That's great point. Okay, yeah. so it's just like... A, it, it's just it's a third universe. It's not DC. It's not Wildstorm. It's something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's just a one-off story that gives us a, like you said, kind of a speculative view, I guess, of what could happen if things went kind of badly. Um, yeah, fun, fun views of some DC stuff in there. They threw in a lot of characters that are just have already been defeated and uh, at the hands of the all-powerful planetary in this case. Yeah, yeah. they use they use the Flash and uh, mm-hmm. and the Atoms. DNA or whatever to, to make it's they're like the four they do give out stuff but very sparingly mm-hmm. and then yeah, yeah. by you know doing vivisection on superheroes yep um here so here's a question I have about what you might think is potentially missing from planetary just kind of hit me to think about um they cover a lot of genre excursions is there anything you would have liked to have seen included that maybe Ellis didn't throw in well, that's a loaded one, I realize. But is there is there is there a certain type of hero or storytelling type that you think could have fit well into this universe that you think maybe went unexplored? Never really does like a hard boiled noir detective. Yeah. There's that Strange Harbors one kind of starts as it, but it doesn't really. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I wish there would have been a riff on Spider Man. Sure. I think that's that's like that's the one, one. And that gets back to. The rifts really stop yeah. in the mid '60s, uh, short of Hong Kong action. That's really the, kind of the last um, chronologically one that they address. I feel like. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's like the um, I mean, the Fantastic Four are always thought of as like the the, the turning point of, of of the Silver Age comic book, but I think Spider Man's just as important uh, from Although, the everyman perspective, an everyman superhero, you know. I will say that something that just occurred to me on this read is that um, the little drummer boy issue. I think he, I think this is kind of a, a like a Michael Bay action. Oh movie. yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's an Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And he made it. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's just the Bruce Willis thing. Kind of always had been sticking in the back of my head, and uh, yeah, it really struck me this time. So I mean, yeah, but that's more of a. And I think the same is true of issue fourteen, which is kind of an X Files mm-hmm. riff, right? Um, is that they use the trappings of it without really getting into the genre very much. It's like, I kind of need a theme for this issue. Yeah. Let's throw in some references to alien abduction and call it an X-Files issue. Cause it's a, it's a move the plot forward type thing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say there's, there's so much that's covered, whether, whether really fully or just kind of touched on. Um, I mean, some of the stuff that's thrown in does feel kind of unnecessary. The the kung fu issue. Oh, it's awesome! It's awesome. It's awesome from an art perspective. From a storytelling perspective, that issue is three pages long. Yeah, um, but yeah. John, uh, it's hard. I can't really think of anything right now. Uh, you might have to get back to me. Okay, no, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you about this then. Sort of my 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 last little wrap up question. Yeah. Um, since y'all brought up League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, how do you think Planetary compares to Alan Moore's efforts 
in a very similar arena. Dude, I mean, it's not really even a question of who does it better. Just I don't, what what makes them different, and you know, could you easily recommend them both at the same time? Do, do they scratch different itches? I think scratch different itches it, itches is a good way to put it. Um, I think that this is more satisfying on, like I said before, on a pulp level in and of itself. Right. Like, as entertainment, um, this is more satisfying. Whereas I think more in league is the more thematically rich. Okay. Um, he really is, I think, trying to get at the characters and the genres in a way that Ellis is using more as surface. And a surface seems unfair. Um, but... Well, he's just we he's don't. more playing with it than exploring yes. it. Yes, that's a that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I I mean they also just seem to delve into different eras altogether, or at least maybe it's because of uh, the focal the focal points are very different. Like for example, Moore's focus is very much on English literature or English mm-hmm. culture. Um, there are very few characters that aren't English based that show up in that. Uh, they're not, you know, I mean, the, the big villain of, uh, of volume three is Harry Potter. I mean, and uh, Tom Riddle and stuff. So, I mean, kind spoiler. Of, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, I look, I already ruined Planetary on this podcast. So <laughs> it's fine. We'll, we'll ruin League of Extraordinary Gentlemen while we're at it, too. Um, but. So, I mean, I, I don't think there are any American based characters that appear. No, there, there are some that. Appear, yeah, uh, are. in or mentioned. Uh, many are mentioned. Many are mentioned. Uh, you get in the Nemo volumes. Uh, mm. It's the first Antarctica one. There are a lot of American yeah. science hero type characters. Yeah, in true, that. true. Um, and many of those had been mentioned in Back Matter and things like that. Yeah, previously. I I think that um, I, that's why I was looking up timelines the other day when I was thinking about this. Is I wondered if. I mean, I didn't. I, I, I'm sure they had their own separate ideas, but it made me wonder if if uh, if Ellis had knew anything about League beforehand or anything like that. Because well, there's one bit early on in this book in Planetary where uh, uh, Axel's telling about his origins and and he talks about the breeding that resulted in his birth and whatnot, and he talks about uh, the the sort of the royalty or whatever uh, French. French uh, courtesans or something like that and I don't know and the, it just made me think of League and I wondered if the timelines aligned um, he talks about his forefathers being from the time of Robespierre mm-hmm. and that's something that's been hinted at in League and I wondered if it was supposed to be a, a hint that this was potentially like the Cabal and Planetary were potentially supposed to be offspring of some of the early versions of the League or I don't know I mean, I like I like to think about that sort of thing. I don't think it's really intentional. I think Ellis explicitly nods to League in issue thirteen. I mean, I believe right. uh, Sherlock Holmes uses yeah. the mm-hmm. word extraordinary, which I think yeah, is yeah true. <laughs> yeah, that um, one. And like I said, that was the first one yeah, I read. And, and Alan Moore wrote the introduction to the first planetary trade. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very complimentary introduction. Yep. I did not know that. I don't get that in this thing. So. It, it was it was back when he still felt okay saying nice things about fellow comics. <laughs> But uh, but it's it's yeah the introductions were first volume was Moore and second volume was Joss Whedon. If that's I right, yeah. Yeah. I have the Joss Whedon. Yeah, we got that. Yeah, probably because you know. But that's in the omnibus. Right yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, he wrote it. Uh, what what volume was that? That was volume, that was volume two, so sixty. Right. Yeah. So I was like. 
It was in 2001. Yeah. 1999 Alan Moore is very different from uh, yeah, seriously. 2014 Alan Moore. Uh, big, big change. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I prefer one or the other because I feel like they do very different things, the two works. I mean, they came at the same time, which is yeah. so odd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that as far as Moore works that compare to Planetary, I mean, certainly it's hard to deny the League kind mm-hmm. of connections, but it almost plays more like Tom Strong. I don't okay. know if you guys have read I've any Tom to. Strong. Uh, in that the, the main character of Tom Strong is essentially a, a Doc Savage riff, but then it spins out from that to look at the whole of pop culture in the 20th century, um, you know, even going into Crisis on Infinite Earth rip, riffs, oh. you know, by the end of it. So um, that's the book that, at least in the way it feels, feels a lot closer to Planetary. Yeah. I, I'm, gonna, I'm now going to like sit down and, and attempt to see if I can line them up, Gray. Uh, <laughs> maybe I can. <laughs> it might yeah, be a waste I mean, of time. I don't I, know. I, I mean, yeah, I think you could do it pretty easily with uh, with finding some publishing dates. But um, but yeah, the, as far as story wise, yeah, it's it a neat yeah. idea. Um, yeah, I mean, just just to see if there's like a way to to like, okay, this occurred in, in the 1800s. This is yeah, uh, yeah. And that's some of the stuff that I've loved the most in League is when they give us hints of or outright lists of some of the earlier versions of that, that mm-hmm. group or different groups. I, I always got a huge kick out of those. Yeah. And so when there's a hint of that in Planetary, I got extra excited. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that that that's really my what my basis was of bringing up the UK stuff though, because these are a lot of American creations yeah. that are in here, right? I mean, for the most part. Um, I mean, American and Asian. Yeah. 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 Like the John Woo style action flick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Double Guns. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just covers a different area. So mm-hmm. they, they, they kind of stand complimentary. But, but they're, they're Asian things that have a lot of traction in American pop sure. culture. Right. So I, you could look at it like it came through that lens. Yeah. 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 I mean, we don't see many giant robots or anything in this, or uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> trying to think of another of another of another Asian thing that, that did not catch on in America necessarily as much. Um, anyway, does anyone have any final thoughts before we close out this podcast? Well, I wanted to see what you guys. What do you think about the last issue being, especially in the the oddness of it that it came three years later, that it's kind of after the final story is wrapped up. Um, what do you guys? Do you like it? Do you think it's Excessive? Is it, does the science make any sense, or is it too too far? I like the alternate versions of the planetary group that show up. They're future versions, yeah, future. not alternate versions. Sorry, are they? I didn't yeah, get that oh, I was confused. Time. Yeah, it's they're possible future versions. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Possible. Well, they, they say they're not sure whether it's possible future versions because the Jakita reassures. Yeah. the modern Jakita that yes. she's going to be okay. Yeah, and she's going to have stuff get, to do. Get better for you. Um, it, I read it as future, um, but there are a lot of them. Obviously, there are a so, lot of them, and yeah. I don't see how they could all be. <laughs> there aren't that many haircuts a guy can get. Um, <laughs> it's maybe the most single most optimistic comic I can remember reading by Ellis. Yeah, I, that one to me is is where kind of the super science of, that drew me in in the very first issue pays off in the biggest way that it's like massive. And even though, even though I know a lot of people complain about the last issue as being a huge chunk of it is very, um, just explaining, okay, this is how we're going to do this. Let's talk this through. It's, it's Ellis talking, not the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, to me, it's so, it's just so big and it makes so much sense, even though it's so out there. 
Um, that's one of the things that I love about the series as a whole. I think the last issue does that really, really brilliantly. Um, and it, but it, it's funny because it, it keeps a lot of the included in that is some of his Ellis's weird sense of humor and the, the future or alternate versions of Ambrose all stay behind for dramatic purposes. <laughs> Pretty great. We thought it would be funnier. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed it quite a bit rereading it last night. Um, yeah, it's got a nice sense of hopefulness to it and you see some things going on in the outside world that are pretty, that are positive and, uh, they've got a shiny new building <laughs> that's not exploded from space and, uh, things like that. But yeah, it, it works for me. I think I wanted just a little bit more as to what Chiquito is going to do. Sure. Because, um, like she said, she kind of doesn't have a purpose right now. And I, I wish they could elaborate more on that or at least, Maybe if they gave her an an issue in the past to explain more of um, why she is the way she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, because the drummer had a... You get his childhood. You get his childhood. And uh, Jaquita, you, you get you got his... You get her lineage. Right. It goes from baby to yeah. no, totally full-grown ass yeah. kicker. Yeah, yeah she, she does get underserved. Oh, I like Sue. It's underserved. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. she gets a lot of the best lines in right. the comic, though. Sure. So I, I don't feel like her backstory gets underserved. I right. feel like as a character, I think she's well used and, and not right. uh, not just kind of window dressing in a way that Sue often is. Right. I had to read the um, explanation of time a few times. When yeah. It's like, wait, what? It's pretty, it's pretty complex. When, he, when, the, when the diagrams come out yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just laying the future in the circle, I'm like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand it. Um, was that a flat circle? It was, it was, it was a flat circle. Um, and, and of course, that reading that was right around the same time as Detective. Yeah. So, yeah, it was the very first thing I thought of, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I had, to, I had to read that a few times just to have like an understanding of what the hell was going on. Um, I still did not catch that those were all future versions. So that's that's even more interesting because I thought they were just alternate dimensions as well. And who doesn't want a giant poster of the the cover of the last issue? Yeah. Also, the fold out cover that literally has something from every single issue of the of the oh, series. Yeah. Doesn't it? I didn't pick up on that. I didn't either. Wow. Yeah, but I actually, um, it's in. I think it's in the back of the second absolute. They've got um, a map that shows what everything is and what issue it's from. Which is oh, kind of very nice. This nerd uh, nerdgasm, you know. <laughs> oh yeah! Look at that. Wow. Yeah, I oh, looked wow. at it last night and oh, tried to map it. We did not get that. No. Oh, we got <laughs> that. That wasn't, that wasn't in the single issue no, we as well. We were completely cut oh, out. Man, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, but I mean, the last issue is a three-page fold-out. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got the fold-out, but I didn't get the key. My initial take was I was wondering if the, the cabal members around the table were mapping to what was beyond them, and I don't think that's the case, but... Um, yeah, it is cool that they're all laid around. They're all around their secret meeting table. Yeah, yeah, we we really got gypped. Yeah, on. Sorry, <laughs> sad, sad to say, that's uh, I can't believe. Yeah, it. but you got that cool trade dress that look, it actually looks like a planetary guide. So. Yeah, that's pretty nice. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that, Gray is now going to examine all of this. <laughs> it's on there. Uh, okay, so now, any, any other final thoughts? Anything else regarding planetary guys? John, anything else you want to say, bud? Nope. (laughs) All right, going once, going twice. 
Well, guys, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll be back with you guys next week for another episode. <laughs> Our final episode before Spider-Man, <laughs> which uh, that's like, it's like the last supper before uh, the execution, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but maybe I, I hope to be wrong. But anyhow, this is Planetary. Pick it up at your stores, even though I probably ruined most of it for you. Um, still, it's a great, enjoyable book. You can uh, find it at your local comic shop uh, here in town or... Or, uh, wherever you might be. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. We'll wrap up here. All of you will be back home safely. So, join us with no fear on our fantastic trip to the moon.